Lesson One: Basic Hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Today's guest is Andrew Durkin of the band The Industrial Jazz Group. They are uh, on a rare East Coast tour right now, and I saw their the opening night of the tour in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, oddly enough, the town where I was born, and uh, it, it rocked. It was a fantastic show. Uh, I mean, particularly for a first night, when you think about the fact that everybody had landed on the East Coast like the night before and, you know, driven up to Western Massachusetts from New York, and uh, I sure couldn't tell. I thought it was amazing. So uh, I highly encourage you to check them out. The tour is running uh, for several more days. Uh, This show goes live. uh, Today is Monday the 19th, and tonight they'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn at 9 p.m., Tuesday at the Space in Hamden, Connecticut at 7.30, Wednesday the 21st at Twins Jazz in Washington, D.C. at 8 p.m. Thursday the 22nd at Automaticino in Jersey City, New Jersey at 11 p.m. Friday the 23rd at Time and Space Limited in Hudson, New York at 8 p.m. And the final show is Saturday uh, the 24th, 9.30 p.m. at the Black Door in Montpelier, Vermont. So drop what you're doing, postpone the wedding, and go see an industrial jazz group show. And just in case you don't believe me, I'll give you a sample. This is called The Job Song. This guy with horns said there's a cure for your financial state. Don't do the thing you love, cause good things come to those who hate. I'm a powerful man, and though I think you're a slob, if you will flatter me, I'll get you a real job. Yes, that's the way to have it all Look at your cousin Neil He's young, he's rich, he's going bald He may be dead in a decade or two But he drives a Porsche And yes, you can drive one too Why don't you get a real job A real job for real Why don't you get a real job school I never met is type before. You're very kind, I said, and yes, you're right, I'm very poor. But I don't see how your scheme could help me, and so I wonder if you might not tell me more. Why should I get a real job, a real job, for real? Why should I get a real job? Why should I get a real job, a real job, for real? Why should I get a real job? Well, did you want to be like the people on TV? So bored and jaded and doing something that you've always hated.
it real soon The big machine must keep on rolling on Keep on rolling on My guest is Andrew Durkin. He is a composer and leader of the industrial jazz group who have just uh, kicked off their 2,000-mile, 10-city, 10-day tour uh, in, of all places, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, uh, which I think is really a hotbed of experimental music and uh, seemed like the perfect place to start. Um, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, you seem, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, to be involved in a really insane project right now, which is like taking almost two dozen people 2,000 miles in 10 days uh, to play music. Why are you here on the East Coast? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think part of it is the, um, the challenge, and uh, part of it is a, a desire to um, do it, you know, even though um, it's illogical and, and sort of a, a somewhat a complement to the music itself because there's so much about the music that's not quite logical. Um, part of it's the fun factor. I mean, these are great people, and I love hanging out with them, and it's, uh, you know, I think it's a good time all around, even if uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, traveling. So uh, um, part of it is a, a, a enormous publicity stunt. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there are all those factors. Can you talk a little bit about the origins of the industrial jazz group, uh, where it started and when, and why you put a band like this together? Yeah, um, it actually started with a very different purpose. It started as a much smaller group. Um, it actually began as a as a trio and um, evolved into a quintet, and then from there into a seven-piece and nine-piece, ten-piece, and now what we are. Um, and that process was really um, kind of the process of... Um, subbing in musicians who then were too interesting to let go of. Um, so it kind of um, was a natural evolution of, you know, meeting more people who, um, you know, fit the group, whose personalities fit the group, whose styles fit the group, and feeling like, well, you know, instead of only having them once in a while, let's have them all the time. So it just kind of built out from there. Was it originally a, a challenge to expand your compositional palette, too, as you started adding more and more pieces to the group? A challenge, but a fun challenge. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I, you know, I always uh, felt like um, it was something that could be done. And um, I, I, my compositional approach is always uh, to feel like the people who are involved are kind of involved in the composition, even though they're not actually sitting down at the computer and typing in the notes, because... Um, they're, as I was saying before, you know, their personalities and their musical and, and non-musical aspects of their personalities are uh, important, and that kind of sh informs the way I write. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's very much a, a custom-made group for this particular arrangement of people, and that's that's kind of one of the. And I know a lot of what we do is not what I would call. You know, true jazz, but that's definitely one jazz aspect of it because it's very much based in the personalities of the people. Yeah, which I think is is very refreshing. I mean, it really seems like a band where each person has an individual role to play. It's a it seems like a band full of people, of individual yeah. people, but who also come together in this kind of collective spirit. Yeah, it's kind of a network basically at this point because it, it's actually never exactly the same since there are so many spots to fill and people are busy and. 
it can be complicated to organize everyone's schedules, but um, it's never going to be exactly the same, but there's definitely a network of people who participate regularly, and so it's got a cohesiveness to it. And uh, the other thing it has is a really fantastic sense of humor. Um, I'm such a fan of people who aren't taking themselves too seriously, even when they're making serious music. Thanks. Um, can you talk a little bit about the sense of humor and the people who bring it into the band? Yeah, well, that is part of the, um, you know, that personality aspect. But it, um, I don't know. I've just, I guess I've never really been, uh, a, I, I like the possibilities of um, comedy um, in terms of, uh, you know, letting people's guard down, you know, getting people relaxed, getting people to maybe um, feel that they don't have to be freaked out because it's jazz, because I know that that's, um, that's some of the baggage that jazz carries, especially, you know, after moving into institutions. I think a lot of people on the outside of that world are very intimidated by it. Um, and so, you know, part of the MO is to, um, to say, you know, we're, we're not, I mean, cause most jazz musicians I know are hilarious people. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if we can sort of, de if we can express that through the music, I think, uh, you know, people, um, oftentimes find it more approachable. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, um, I remember hearing uh, Steve Bernstein say from, from Sex Mob that, uh, you know, they would play like these 40-minute improvisations and then the James Bond theme, and it like made everything okay. It was like <laughs> everything that came before it was cool and everything that came after it was fine because there yeah. was like 20 seconds of the James Bond theme and people could right. latch onto it. Do you think humor plays kind of that same that same role of bringing people into the music? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's trying to find a balance. I mean, we're... I, I I like the comedy stuff, and I think that's really important to what we do. But if it was all comedy, it would that wouldn't be enough. You know? Sure. It's it's it's, and it's also you know you don't want to get to the point where you're just like pandering and you're just trying to like, oh, what are people going to like and try and like only shove a little listen here and you know and, and people will dig it. Um, it still has to be have integrity and be honest and and uh, have its own reason for being. But, um, but yeah, I mean it. Uh, um, it the finding that balance, I think, is part of what I'm trying to do. Thank you. 
forgive me if this is too easy a comparison, but so I'm I'm 36 and I've been involved in music my whole life, and I first heard a Frank Zappa record two weeks ago, uh-huh. which I really can't explain. Okay. But in any case, in the time between two weeks ago and now, I've listened to all of them pretty much in a row, like wow. chronologically. I'm not sure why, but it's been a really fun two weeks. Probably not for my wife and kids, but it's been fun for me. Um, so I don't know if that comparison is too easy, or maybe my brain is just full of Zappa. But that there seems to be a lot of that same kind of like instant direction switching. Um, and I, I see Jill in the corner nodding. One of I, I just uh, while driving up here, I, we some Zappa came on on the radio, and I just remarked, you know, um, I think he's the best musician who has ever lived in the whole history of the world. And, you know, that's an exaggeration. But I really love Frank Zappa, yes. <laughs> if that's your question, yes. Frank Zappa is kind of my biggest uh, influence. And I actually came to him kind of late, too. I mean, I didn't um, listen to a lot of Zappa in high school um, or even my early years in college. Um, it was more um, like about 25, 26 when I started. I mean, I knew of him and I knew um, who he was and I knew sort of the the popular hits, um, but I didn't know, um, you know, I didn't really get, I didn't really understand his whole kind of approach and his philosophy and the, you know, so it wasn't really until later on, but once I got hooked, then I was really into it, yeah. So, and where I want to go from there is back to this whole thing about the name, what you call the music, because mm-hmm. if, I mean, the stuff that, that Zappa played, some of which became very popular, um, a lot of it was really complex. And if he had said this is jazz, he probably never would have sold another record. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He didn't mm-hmm. say it was anything in particular. Yeah. And so it seems like you're, I mean, you're achieving this, although your group is named the Industrial Jazz Group. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like you're going to, you're able to achieve the same end. It's not the, it's not the name that's important. It's the, it's the content. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because I think people, if I could do one thing differently, I might go back in time and change the name of the group because I do think it confuses people. Um, and it's not, it wasn't intended to. I don't really, I, I don't remember the exact thought process that led to the name. It kind of just sounded cool to me when I first thought of it. Um, but, um, but I think there is a, there is a justification for it that, at which I've spoken about before, which is just that it's kind of, you know, I mean, first of all, industrial music and jazz music, both taken separately, are often, you know, very kind of purist. I mean, there's potential in those communities for people to, you know, be very, um, you know, this is this is what jazz is, or this is what industrial music is. I mean, they're they're very they have very committed followings. How big those followings are is another question, but um, so it is interesting to sort of just shove those two together. Um, and say, but we're like neither of those things, you know, and so there's a certain amount of, you know, it's confusing and that's okay because part of, that's part of what we do too is, um, you know, confuse people in a good way. But the problem is you have to have that opportunity to explain yourself. <laughs> so when people just kind of come across it and, uh, see it in the record bin or whatever and say industrial jazz, group, oh, you know, I'm not going to listen to that. So yeah, it's. I want to just quickly point out in terms of the, the sonic landscape that it sounds like either we are at a Hollywood premiere or someone is repeatedly cocking a shotgun right behind you. It is, in fact, a camera. So uh, the occasional sounds that you hear that sound like possibly sure? a crazy person is about to kill us all, uh, it's probably not that. 
despite, again, the dimly lit hotel that we're in here in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> this this show tonight was uh, it was in Pittsfield. It was part of the Pittsfield Jazz Festival, and it was originally intended to be outside, but it got moved inside at the last moment. Yeah. And I think one effect that that had was it probably raised the median age of the crowd by about 30 years because mm-hmm. it, it was people who knew about the Pittsfield Jazz Fest rather than the folks who would have been out on the street. Yeah. But uh, like sitting in front of me were three women I would have – probably guessed are in their 50s or 60s, who wandered in, had no idea what it was, and stayed for both sets, totally dug it, were cheering and whistling and the whole uh-huh. thing. And that seems to go kind of directly to your point about the accessibility of the music and the, I mean, I doubt these folks were there to see the industrial jazz group. They wandered into the museum, yeah. but they were totally taken uh-huh. because the music had so much to say to them. I think it's pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, kind of the best case scenario, you know, when you... Um you know, people find it accidentally or, um, you know, there's a, I mean, part of it too is, um, there's a whole performance atmosphere to it. That's more than just kind of the notes on the page. And, oh, is there? I didn't um, notice that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not so, referring to people like in white spandex outfits or, you know, whatever, whatever texting works. during the shows. Or right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. It, and you it, did look good in that, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, uh, that's, that's kind of the best thing in the world as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I mean, I am very interested. I've always loved jazz and I, you know, I hope what we're doing doesn't seem like disrespectful of the jazz tradition, like that we're like, you know, poo-pooing it or anything. Cause, cause all of these musicians, you know, are, are well-versed in, uh, well, most of them are well-versed in jazz. Others, um, like Tony is a, opera singer and Jill has a lot of experience with uh, classical music as well and pop music. So, um, but in terms of the jazz players, they are hardcore jazz players and you will find them playing with some great people. Um, and so the way they play definitely, um, is part of what we do. And, you know, I, 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 I love jazz. So, um, I do, I am interested in that community, but I'm also interested in like people who just listen to rock music or people who just listen to polkas or people who just listen to, you know, um, whatever else. So if your band were named anything else, you would never have just spent two minutes making sure that jazz fans weren't pissed <laughs> off. If your band was called the industrial spoon group, you right. would never have said, well, listen, I love spoons and this is no reflection on people who enjoy eating with spoons. Yeah. It's, I think it is because of this whole insular nature of the jazz community. I mean, I don't even know what disrespecting the tradition means. Yeah. I mean, the tradition itself was, in many ways, dis- every element, every aspect of the tradition, in some way, was iconoclastically disrespecting what came before. Well, that's what and I get out totally of it. Fun. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. But I, 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 sometimes I just get the vibe that you know, it's like, this is you can't call that jazz if it's got a guy stripping on stage. <laughs> you know, you can't call it jazz if you know, if you're wearing funny costumes. You know, I, I it's not. Maybe it's just my own paranoia, but that's just kind of the sense I get, the vibe I get. You're just not wearing funny costumes with ties. That's right. the only difference, right?
tonight there were some places where it was obvious to pick out what sounded like the improvisatory sections of the music tonight, but uh, there were a lot of places where I couldn't tell uh, how mm. much was collective improvisation and how much was collective composition. It just wasn't in unison. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the balance between composition and improvisation? In the That's part of the confusion that um, is part of the intention. I mean, I do uh, like to have it sound as though the even the written parts are being improvised. Um, and as I was saying before, this is the first night of our tour, so things are still kind of coming together. But once the band sort of gets... The, the tightness that I was speaking about that evolves over the course of a tour, it has a lot to do with um, the kind of suppleness that you can have with a smaller group, but happening with a larger group. So people will know kind of where they can take liberties kind of instinctively. And, um, you know, so there are a lot of spaces in my charts where I will leave something purposely, you know, un specified or leave you know more than just like a just section saying well this is the blowing section of the tune just like i'll leave out information and um they get it like there's a point at which it becomes clear like this is where you can sort of because there's not something else happening at this time or because the whole section is not doing the same thing like you can do what seems to work um so i would like for it to be like just a a continuum where you don't from you know, the written music to the fully impro improvised music where you don't really know where that line is and it could move around at any point. It seems like it probably offers the musicians uh, several different kinds of enjoyment too because it is really fun to play really precise music and everybody hits on all of these offbeats at the same time. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's fun to have these expressive sections where you're playing whatever. It seems like yeah. it, it must be very fulfilling, I would imagine, to be on stage in that context. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't speak for Sure them, you but, can. Uh, <laughs> But I, I can't imagine what would make them want to travel across the country for 10 days if there wasn't some aspect of it. I'm interested in how the, how the collective has grown. How I mean, you mentioned the fact that people sub in and just don't ever leave. But how do people know to sub in in the first place? Where did you, where did these folks come from? How did they find everybody? Everybody knows everybody. Um, there are two kind of big sources um, in L.A. were um, USC and CalArts. Um, so, um, I mean, there's a, a jazz program at USC and then CalArts has, uh, a, a lot of great stuff going on. So, um, you know, that was all just, I mean, when I started, I didn't know anybody cause I was, I wasn't a music student myself out there. I was actually out there for, um, grad school in English. So I was in a whole other world and, um, I started playing in a, Dixieland band and met a couple people that way and then everything else has been word of mouth so, so you know when it came time to need a sub I would just ask the people that I knew and they would give me a list of five people and then I call five of those people and they have another list of five people so it just kind of built out from there. Uh, one thing uh, and in fact the, the the way that I knew to end up in your hotel room eventually was that um, you're using online technology uh, intelligently to promote the band. And um, you seem to be one of the people who's out there kind of in the jazz blogosphere, which I can't even believe I said. And thank God I'm already married because you really can't get dates if you say things like jazz blogosphere. Um, but can you talk a little bit about um, how you're using technology and social media uh, to try to tr draw the audience? I guess it's just an opportunity to um, do the sort of things that traditional media did, but do it yourself um, and build your own audience that way um it's all about um you know having a 
forum to for expression. So you know, in the old days, when, um, if there was only a certain number of newspapers in a town, then if you didn't have access to that forum, then you were out of luck. Except if you want to call up all the people that you wanted to invite to your show. This is more like anybody can publish anything online, and um, so that part of it it's e- is easy. The challenging part then is that anybody can publish anything online. <laughs> so it's a matter of, um, you know, uh, I, that's that too is a networking thing, just like finding the musicians. I mean, you meet people who know other people and you see what other people are saying, um, what conversations are happening, and then you find new people that way. And it, the, the thing that um, I, one of the lessons I've learned is that you uh, – it's not instantaneous and it feels like it should be because it is so easy to publish, um, online. And so I think when people, um, get into the mindset that it should be instantaneous, that's when they do the spam thing. So it's really tricky not to fall into the spam thing. Um, so, you know, you just gotta be patient. And I think I, I really do believe that that's kind of, um, a godsend for art in general. And I think it's going to really change things in the future. Um, I think it's going to take a little while to get there, though. This uh, show will be live on Monday. So um, what will be remaining in your itinerary from uh, from Monday morning on? Uh, Monday night, we are playing uh, in Brooklyn at the Bell House with uh, two other really amazing groups. Um, Darcy James argues Secret Society. Um, from whom members from that band i know james hirschfeld right was on has played in our group yeah Yeah, he's on leaf um that's right josh sinton played barry um maybe one or two other people who um either are not in darcy's band all the time or just i found out through darcy's band sure so monday in brooklyn monday in brooklyn at the bell house with um secret society and also uh travis sullivan's orchestra oh cool um and then tuesday we're in hamden connecticut at the space with a reggae jazz type group called the schematics and wednesday we're in dc at twins jazz thursday we're uh in jersey city at uh, automata chino which is like a rock club uh friday we are going to be in hudson new york at time and space limited and then on saturday we're going to be up in montpelier is that how you say it montpelier or montpelier um, Vermont at uh, the the Black Door, and uh, I'll put all that in the show notes. So if you go to the session dot com or industrialjazzgroup.com, right, yes. you can uh, you can check the itinerary. Um, my guest is Andrew Durkin. Uh, he is the composer behind the Industrial Jazz Group, and uh, I, I completely loved the show tonight, and uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks. For Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. <laughs> Something's getting nearer, it's that 
started shaking. The engine started whining. Pieces started falling off while I was driving. First there went the fender, then the broken body. The policeman saw the whole thing. He said, "You better watch it, Sonny." That's music from the Industrial Jazz Group and their album, Leaf. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Also, head over to thejazzsession.com so you can find a link to the Industrial Jazz Group's website and check out all the tour dates and information I listed them at the beginning of the show if you want to go back, but uh, and I think they were in the conversation actually during the show. So you've had two chances, uh, but in case you didn't have a pen handy, you can check out uh, the website, thejazzsession.com, and you'll find links for all the tour information that you need. This show has an email list, which is a great way to win free music. It also has a Facebook group. You can sign up for both of those things. The email list is at thejazzsession.com. And the Facebook group, just type in The Jazz Session in the search box on Facebook, and there it will be. And I do give away CDs in both those places. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. The show is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz wherever and whenever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.